we welcome you back today. We have found ourselves in a couple of hard weeks as a nation. We are finding ourselves hard-pressed on many sides, yet pulling, pulled apart in many ways. Family of Grace was intentionally planted to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church that looks like the city. And these last several weeks have been very difficult on us. And so we felt led as a pastoral staff that we would detour from where we were currently going to be in our sermon, summer sermon series to address the issue and how it connects with our church. In this service last Sunday in our church, we had two different services. One, the message and the mandate you'll be hearing from me this morning. And the second was a panel of the discussion with our staff. And how then shall we live? What should we do? And asking some of the most difficult questions that was coming from our congregation. So over the next couple of weeks, we hope that this will really encourage you and really bless your heart. We want to invite you to share this word with coworkers, with family and friends, and this panel that will be coming next week. We want you to share that as well. So as we jump into this sermon today, I hope that it will give you some answers for where you are in your life. And today my heart is heavy uh, because as a pastor, uh, we find ourselves in perilous times. Today is easy, is, is an easy layup for a lot of churches. And let me explain that. It's because most churches are very homogeneous in their makeup. That means ethnic, ethnically, they're all the same. Uh, most of the time, culturally, they're the same. They're very similar. Economically, they're very similar. And therefore, their passions are unified. Their disdain, their disdain is unified. The things they oppose is unified. The things they support is unified. And boy, it's just not that way at Family of Grace. I was thinking this week, I realize now why most churches have no, why most pastors don't lead their church to be a multi-dimensional church. And it's because it's hard. It's because it cuts both ways. It cuts every way. And we find ourselves in the middle of crossfire everywhere we turn. Pastor Ralph asked me this question in one of the many conversations we've had this week. And he says, how do you really think this week is affecting our church? And for most people, and maybe even you, you may feel like it's the same as it's always been. It's just another tragedy, and it's another shooting, and, and you know we will get past it as a nation. But for us at Family of Grace, it's much more than that. Because what it's doing this week is it has, it has highlighted the differences. It has, we, we, we are mourning in every sense of the way. I've stood before congregations that I've pastored in difficult days. I stood before our congregation on 9-11. I've stood before this congregation in other difficult days. But never have I stood before a congregation where we were the enemy. There was always a common enemy. There was an outside force. There was, you know, uh, an invader from, from outside. But this year, our, our nation has suffered attacks from within. Whether it was in San Bernardino, whether it was in Florida uh, with the, the, the latest terrorist attack there at the nightclub where they uh, exploded the, the, the gay nightclub there. 
and there was death and trauma abounding everywhere. It was people that were from within. Uh, we're struggling as a nation. Um, if you're a homogeneous church, if you're a, if you're a single ethnic church, it becomes easier for you because you don't have to ha sympathize with people who are not like you. You don't have to sympathize with people whose skin is different, who speaks a different language culturally. We may all speak English, but I'm telling you, look, look dude, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it is pulling at the hem. Brother Darrell, uh, I, I, here's how I feel. You remember a couple of years ago, we decided to have a biker rally, and we had a tent meeting out here, and we came and put that tent up, and that thing looked good. And we had a good plan. That way we wouldn't have to do it on the weekend, and, man, it could draw some attention. And somewhere between putting that tent up in the rally, a thunderstorm decided to come in. <clears throat> and there's a borrowed tent that's about to be airborne. And in the middle of a storm, I'm telling you, the winds were howling. The rain was beating against us. There was about a half a dozen cuyons. That's another language you may not understand if you're from South Louisiana, but crazy folks. It's out there in the middle of this storm trying to lower the, lower the poles and bring down the tent so that it would be here for the weekend. That's really how I feel as a pastor that we have had a storm blow in, the perfect storm. The perfect storm where there's, there's, there's a, a killing of an African-American young man where some people deem as questionable. Others say there's, there's no question. There's a killing of an African-American guy in Minnesota where it seems like, man, something just went bad wrong there. How did that happen? And people are scratching their heads on that. And, and, and people that have been defending the cops and running to their aid are looking at that and saying, man, what do I do? What do I say? And then to where there were 12 cops that were shot in Dallas and four different states, as I said earlier, Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, and Texas have all had police officers killed since the beginning of the week. It's a perfect storm that is brewing on us, on us, as a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi-economical, multi-generational, multi-dimensional church. Because we're different. And if we don't come together and unify and be on the same page and learn to not only celebrate together, but to mourn together and to cry together and to struggle together, it will be like that storm that was beating against that tent. If somebody doesn't have the courage to run out into the middle of the storm and say, I've got to do something different or this won't be here, it will begin to pull us apart little by little. Sure, slowly by slowly. I remember as a young boy growing up on a farm, there would be the time where, where the, the, the harvest was in. It, it, it wasn't quite in, but it was ready. And in that time of the year, a hurricane would come into the gulf, and then the farmer just didn't know what would be the end of his crop. And he looked at that, and he thought, I can remember my dad and my grandfather and seeing the worry on their face when a storm would enter the gulf and their crop and their whole livelihood and their whole support for their family was in the field and all they could do was watch and pray and say, God, please turn the storm so that I don't lose everything I've worked for. As your pastor today, my family and you have labored sacrificially for the work of this ministry. 
Now in January will be 10 years we've been laboring away. And as we have made such great strides, it just feels like there's a perfect storm of brewing that is pushing people back to their natural habitats and what they understand from their upbringing and what they understand from their cultural lens, from their ethnic lens, and from their religious lens. And can you say we're mixed up in all three of those? I mean, we have people from every walk of life, ecumenically speaking, from culturally speaking, and and also ethnically here today. So what must we do? Well, we must understand something. I want to share this scripture with you in Romans chapter 8. The Bible says this in verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I am begging you as your pastor, let's walk according to the Spirit. If we walk according to the flesh, let's just stop what we're doing and go home and find us a homogeneous church. Let the city go to hell because the churches are not embracing the whole city. I mean, we have got to come together or it will pull us apart. And the only way we can come together is to walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Only the Spirit can get us through this. Only the Holy Spirit can lead us through the valley of despair. And as we do this, we understand that if we walk according to the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, if you go with me over to verse 18, here's what it says. For I consider that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now here's one thing I want you to understand is that God uses trouble. God uses suffering. God uses pain. God uses despair to bring about victory. If you don't believe me, go back and look at what it says in, in, Galatia, I mean in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of the flesh and to be counted as sin so that we might be victorious. If you don't believe me that victory comes through pain and death and agony and heartbreak, we own our spiritual salvation because someone died. And so therefore what we, we must do as a demographic of people who are all mixed up. Look around. Just take a moment and look around this church today. Just look around us. And it's even more than that. Because we don't just do church together. We do life together. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. There are big multi-ethnic churches in our city. But they're not big on doing life together. I mean, let one of them dismiss for lunch and go out and see them in the restaurant and they all look the same. There's not much multi-ethnic in their lunch circle at the restaurant. We do life together and because of that, we are able to engage a city. Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Do we like it? No, it's uncomfortable. It pushes us from beyond our comfort zone. But I am telling you, the city of Alexandria and central Louisiana is depending on somebody to rise up and be a voice of reason in the middle of suffering and say, God's got a plan. Amen? And so here's what he says. He says that in all this suffering, God's going to do something special. Now, if you go down, he talks about in verse 19, for the whole creation is groaning and wanting to be released from the curse of sin. But if you skip with me on down, it says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains 
together until now. Not only that, but we also, but we also have this first fruits of the Spirit, ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. What hope? That one day we would lay aside all of this pain. One day we would lay aside all of this struggle. One day we would lay aside all of our personal vices and hang-ups. And that in this hope we would see Jesus. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance is what it says in 25. But likewise, in these moments, the Spirit also helps in our weakness... For when we do not know how to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be understood. You don't know what to think about this week. You don't know how to pray about this week. Just shut yourself up in your prayer closet. Shut yourself up in your pickup or your suburban or your convertible or your cubicle or your office and close the door and say, God, I'm just going to groan a little bit because our nation is in trouble. Families are in trouble. Families are mourning. People are struggling. And we are being pulled apart and begin to ask for God to intercede for us. Now, verse 27 says, Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind and the spirit is because he lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the good news in the midst of suffering. The good news in this conquest is that the Spirit is interceding for us. The good news is that he, Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us, the saints of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, one of the questions that we'll be answering in the next service is why, why didn't God stop this? Why does God allow this? And some people say God causes all this. God, God made this happen. But I tell you what God did cause. And will God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And as we look at this, it says those who love him. It didn't say for this ethnic group or this cultural group or for the rich or the poor or the powerful. It says for all those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he also called, he justified. And those who he justified, he wants to glorify. Now stay with me here. So what then shall we say? If God be for us, then who can be against us? What can I tell you today, family? God can cause all this to bring glory. What can I say? is that if God be for us, who can be against us? For he did not spare his own son in the conquest of conquering suffering, but he delivered him up to us all. And shall he not with, with him also freely give us all things? I mean, if he gave us his very son, why would he withhold something else? If he gave us his greatest treasure, his child, his son, laid him down on the cross, if he gave up his son to die for us, then why would he withhold anything else? Here it is, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect then? If, God, if it is God who justifies, who is he who condemns? It is also Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who even is at the right hand of God to make intercession. Here's what I want you to understand today. 
He is at the right hand. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we cannot understand to Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God the Father. If he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, that means he's not in the grave. It's no longer occupied. He's risen from the dead and we are living to do life and victory and walk in the power and the anointing because Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for you. What can be a good word in the midst of a week like this? You got the Holy Spirit praying when you can't pray and you got Jesus translating to the Father the prayer of the saints of God now as we look at this here's what I want you to understand so here's what he says if the Holy Spirit is interceding for you if in the middle of that God says whatever is going on I can work it for your good and and for my good and for your good and for my glory and if Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand I'm not making this up it says right here he he is at the right hand of God now, we don't have to unpack the triunity of God for it or against it. What we can do is say the scripture says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and leave that up to the mystery of faith and understanding that I didn't say it, Jesus did. And so in this dynamic, here's what he says. So what then shall separate us? If you've got these three things working for you, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. I've read this scripture all week and it's haunted me. Because it's just been so real. As sheep being led to the slaughter. Wow. This scripture has haunted me this week. Now let me tell you something, church. When Paul was writing this, there was a guy in charge called Nero who was killing every Christian he could get his hands on. And so when he was lining them up to be slaughtered, he had them in holding cells to use their bodies to burn them at night on the wall. That's the way he illuminated his gardens. Can you imagine being a Christian held up in a pen waiting to be set on fire while some pagan king rode his chariot around his garden at night by your light? And Paul writes this to that church that's experiencing that. And he says, yet in all things you're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Let me tell you something today, church. We're going to talk about this a little bit in the next service. The only way we're going to be victorious is through him. Yeah, people quote this scripture out of context all the time. We're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Yes, we are. Through him. Through him. Apart from him, we can't conquer anything. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything in the present, nor anything to come, nor height or height or depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, nothing can separate the love of God from us. And I'm telling you that God said, not your preacher, not your pastor. God said, I will cause all things to work together for the good of him who love those who love me. Remember a few weeks back, I actually used this scripture in the sermon dealing with the, the concept of divorce. And I told you that this was a scripture. Um, this was a scripture that when I knew I was headed for trouble, I would gather my girls up who didn't have a clue at that time, and I would put their finger on this verse. I'd open... I'd open this book up right here. 
And I'd say, all right, put your finger on this scripture. And three fingers would fall on this scripture. And we'd pray God's word. And we'd say, God, I know. Uh, we would read this verse and say, Lord, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, I can't come the storm. I can't resolve the problems and the tragedies that we're living through. But God, I can believe your word. I can take your word. I can stand on your word. When it's easy, I can stand on your word. When it's hard, I can stand on your word. When it's, the, the, when, when it's impossible, God, I can keep going back. And I'm going to tell you something, church. This week, this week in my memory, in my recollection, as I have walked through some most difficult days, and it's been very hard. My wife asked me, so when are you going to be normal again? And I just had this mental picture of those three fingers hitting that scripture, saying, God, all we know is your word. Now, church, all I can tell you today is this. As your pastor, who's leading a diverse group of people, we can put our white fingers, we can put our black fingers, we can put our Hispanic fingers, we could, we could put... The, the, the Brazilian fingers. We could put all these different ethnic fingers on this scripture and bring them together for such a time as this and believe God for the miracle. You say, Pastor, why are we doing this differently today? And the answer is this, because I don't have the luxury of dealing with it the way I always have in the past. I don't have that luxury. You don't have that luxury. We, it's not an option. It's not an option. Because we are feeling pain in every different demographic today. And we've got to get to the point that we love each other enough that we're saying, God, help us to walk by the Spirit. In Family of Grace Church, that we walk by the Spirit. That we walk by the Spirit. That we walk by the Spirit. And when we want to walk by the flesh... We have somebody coming beside us saying, hey, it's okay that that's how your flesh feels, but let's walk by the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. Don't retreat. Don't retreat. Don't go back to your corner. Don't go back to what you knew when it was safe. Because right now, it'd be easier to say, whew, this preacher's nuts. I've been telling you, honey, he's nuts. We've been saying it all this time, he's nuts. Let's just go back. Let's 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 go back. I was writing. Uh, Ashley and Brandon's been kidding me for quite some time. They said, Pastor, you ought to write this book on pastor and starting a multi-ethnic church. And I was actually thinking about this this week, and I thought the first chapter would be what not to do. <laughs> and what not to do in starting a multi-ethnic church would be don't start a multi-ethnic church with all white people. <laughs> well, that was a dumb move. I don't know who had that harebrained idea. And when I look around us today, we are a multi-ethnic church in every sense of the way. And we are forging forward to be a difference, to make a difference. How many of you have thought this week, man, when's somebody going to do something? What's it going to take? Who's going to rise up? Who's going to rise up? Here's the phrase that's been honing me this week. 
when in the course of human events. How many of you ever, ever heard that phrase? There comes a time that people must lay aside their political differences to unite around one cause. When in the, cause of, when in the course of human events we must lay aside white, black, Hispanic, Democrats, Republicans, God help us. We must lay aside all those things. When in the course of human events, we must lay aside, we must lay aside these things. And those are the first words of the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, God has assembled this band of believers for this city for such a time as this. There's very few churches today that can speak to this with any authority because they live in a homogeneous bubble. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's their vision. That's what they do. And they cannot sympathize. They cannot have empathy. But we at Family of Grace are not that church. We can sympathize. And we can lead a charge to have influence in this city. You say, Pastor, what can we do? Well, I'm just one little guy that nobody knows. I don't have the mayor's number. I've tried to get him many times in the last years to call me back. Not even successful with that. I don't know the DA. We got a new DA. I tried to get a meeting with him to see if we could recover some of our products that were stole some seven years ago. I can't get a meeting with the DA. So if you need a ticket fixed, I know somebody who probably knows somebody, but don't come to me because I'm a nobody. When I need to get into the jail, I call Pastor Bob. He gets me in. I'm telling you, I don't have much influence politically in this city, but what I do have is a family that is made up of people from every walk of life, economically, generationally, politically, socially, culturally, and ethnically. And I might not be able to stop protest and violence and lead a charge that will turn the tide of a nation. But I tell you what we can do. We can make a difference in Alexandria. We can make a difference in this city because while all this was happening in the nation, in just a few miles from our south campus, a young African-American boy was killed and left in the street to die in our city this week. Now, church, we can make a difference. You, do you know we run our buses by where that boy was left to die? Now, that we can do. Now, that we can make a difference. But if we don't come together and say, God, let us walk by the Spirit, it will start pulling us apart, and we will start seeing people through our racial lens, our, our ethnic lens, our cultural lens, and our denominational lens. But I'm begging you as your pastor, I want you to be here today to say, don't you retreat. Let's rally the troops. Let's walk by the Spirit. Let's forge forward. God can use you to make a difference. You may not be able to connect with the protest. You may not have any desire to, but you may feel like God wants to use you to do something. 
you may feel like you're you're tired of asking yourself this question. How long will it be like this? How long will we struggle as a nation? Well, right here in Alexandria, we can rise up and we can make a difference for the glory of God. I know that you may already have a church family, but I want to ask you to go a step further. Would you join us in forging forward in this city to really and truly make a difference for the glory of God? Maybe we're not asking you to leave your church family, but we're asking you to join with us in many ways possible to show unity for the glory of God.